Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'll be your host, Austin Fagans. I work for the solutions team at Anware Fulfillment. And today we've got Chad Thibodeau. He's in global account management at Boimer Group. He's got 25 years of experience in the supply chain industry. He works for a worldwide provider, material handling solutions, logistics technologies, automation technologies, um, has a background in a little bit of everything. And then recently he spoke on how companies can deal with volume spikes, volatility, and manage that in a cost-efficient manner. That's just one of the things we're going to dig into uh, when we talk today, but wanted to say, Chad, welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, of course. Before we dive in, have a tendency as we get into a lot of the details to go through everything that's going on. I wanted to ask, though, you've got a long career and a long resume in the industry and the business itself. Do you care to give me a summary on what brought you to where you are today and maybe just highlight a couple of the experiences you had in the past that pointed you into what you're doing now? I have a funny anecdote about that. So honestly, I just happened to step into it accidentally. When I graduated from college with my engineering degree, I knew there was one thing I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the one thing I didn't want to do was I did not want to work in the oil and gas industry, which was prevalent in Louisiana. So my dad struggled a lot with that. And I swore I wasn't going to have the volatility of a career like he had. So packed my bags and headed to Dallas, got an interview with a company, a material handling company, and that's where it all started. So started off with them and then got pulled into Rapistan, the big red schoolhouse. So that's where I started my career. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like quite the experience. It's been fun. That's for sure. I enjoy the job. It's a challenging job. Every customer is unique and the problems are unique in every customer. So it's always a challenging position, but it's very rewarding for sure. Awesome. I believe it. I've experienced it in my shorter tenure, the same thing. A lot of challenges keeps you on your toes, as everyone says, but it makes every day interesting. One of the things I want to start diving in now is we spend a lot of time talking on B2C and some of the challenges in B2C fulfillment, especially for smaller and mid-sized companies. We talked a little bit earlier, but what are some of the problems that you see with companies when it comes to either automating or actually getting their goods out the door, or maybe it's after the goods are out the door, how they actually land at the person's home or at the business that the goods are shipping to. What are a couple of the biggest call-outs you see that customers are having in this day and age? Yeah, well, I'd say probably the biggest one right now that we're seeing pretty much across the industry is labor. The labor component is a big struggle right now. I mean, it's, it's no secret. You can take a turn on the TV. You can see the unemployment rate is pretty low. And so the competition for the labor pool is definitely higher. You'll see people bounce back and forth between businesses directly across the street from each other. So it's hard to retain labor. There are certain markets in the country where there's no labor pool at all. And then, of course, you got the whole millennial discussion that everybody loves to have, right, which is what person wants to sit around and empty and load boxes or maintain complex equipment and all these kinds of things. So it's hard to find labor. Labor is just not interested and it's very competitive. So we see that a lot. And I think what that leads to in a lot of ways is customers need to consider automation to be able to handle those types of situation, right? But unfortunately, automation and putting in automated systems is a big leap for a lot of the smaller and mid-sized companies. So making that decision to do that from an investment standpoint is usually a big decision. So the problems that that could potentially lead to is small to medium-sized companies not having the infrastructure in place to support expansion and automation. 
I want to jump in real quick when we sit there and we talk about labor. I want to go back to that because I've run into it in my career across the board. Tell me a little bit about, is this a recent problem or is this a problem that has always been around and we're just seeing and feeling it differently than it was in the past? Yeah, I would say it's definitely a much bigger problem than it has been in the past for the reasons I mentioned earlier about the low unemployment rate you know, difficulty in retaining labor, not having the labor pool in certain sections of the country. It's a lot worse now than it has been in the past, but it's definitely always been a problem. And again, a lot of these order fulfillment type jobs and order pickers and people that are processing orders, a lot of times people don't want to do those types of jobs. So that problem has always been there. So the need to automate, it's always been there, but it's definitely gotten worse, especially since the pandemic. The pandemic definitely opened up a lot of eyes, if you will, to see the problem on a much bigger scale than it has been in the past. No, I agree. And a lot of our listeners, what they're running into from across the board is how do you handle, I'm going to call it volume spikes, but I'm also going to call it maybe not having the resources. Maybe the resources don't show up every day is what we see a lot of. Amware deals with that. Most 3PLs, most business units right now are dealing with, hey, I needed 100 people and only 60 showed up. And so the volume may have remained constant, but that creates volatility in the workplace as far as how to manage those orders. You've got some perspective in the past on that, but what's a good way to start looking at automation and ahead? And to your point, you know, we want to be cost efficient. What have you seen companies do that really makes sense or, or helps them move in the direction they need to go as far as automation? So the leap into automation, as you've witnessed it firsthand, our job is to provide you with the best solution, a company like Boimer, our responsibility, give you the best solution you can, but we can only give you the best solution if we have the best data, right? So when the leap into automation needs to happen, that's the key is having good data to design the system around and understanding what your SKU profiles look like that, what your mix looks like. Are you designing this for some future automation, right? Is it a phase approach? All these different things. But I would say the key element to somebody that a company that is considering it is make sure you have good data that you can present. And if you need to take some time to acquire that data, and I'm sure you know this, right, Austin? If you don't have the data, that's fine, but don't go in there with blindfolds not having the data because you're just asking for trouble and you're going to fail. I was about to ask, I've got a few experiences on my end where a client hasn't quite provided accurate data is one thing, but I was going to ask, what do you think or tell me about a time when maybe a client didn't provide the data that you expected or that you needed? Tell me about how that happened. What do you think causes that? I don't want to say it's somebody's fault necessarily, but what, in your opinion, what have you seen? I'll give you an example, an example of a smaller company that's processing orders and shipping stuff, and they don't have product distribution data, for instance. Product distribution data tells us, here are the packages that you have in your package stream. Here are the dimensions of these packages, and here's the percentage of those packages that are in each one of these segmented categories, if you will. And so... Oftentimes, customers don't even have that information. So you have to make assumption. You have to say, okay, we're going to design it around this. And this is just an average. Well, if that average changes over the years, which it does, and give several examples of companies, you know, merging together and now the package streams change. So now you have a system that's designed for a certain type of package stream. Companies merge together. And now the package stream completely changes. Now the system is not designed to handle that. So that's a 
big primary example of what we would often see. And it's not their fault, right? Who would have known that the company was going to acquire another company or merge two companies together and change? Or for instance, I mean, you see more and more people are deciding, hey, you know what? I'm not going to buy that TV at Best Buy. I want it at my house tomorrow. So now you've got all this big packages in the parcel stream and the systems are not designed to handle that. So it creates problems and bottlenecks. What advice would you give? Because I've worked with a lot of different clients, talked with a lot of clients about how to gather the good data. And I'm going to call it good data, but what I mean is useful data. It's always nice to have everything you possibly can. And my opinion is that the more you have, the better. But within that, do you have what you need? And what would you tell a client who says, you know, I've got all this, but what will help you? What will help you do the right job for that client? Yeah, so again, going back to the explanation of the average parcel size, for instance, based rather than a product distribution, companies like ourselves can go in and actually do an evaluation of that, right? And spend a couple months acquiring information if it's not readily available in your IT systems is acquire that information directly. So that's what I would suggest that, hey, look, you spend the time up front, you make sure you get the right data, you make sure you vet the data. And then once you have it, then you can start to talk about how to design in flexibility, how to design in for volume spikes, how to design in for phasing and those sorts of things. But it goes back to the making sure you have the information. If you can't get it, try to figure out a way to get it because you don't want to have that situation where you didn't, or you designed to something that isn't in reality what you really wanted to design to. Oh yeah. That makes a ton of sense. It's always tricky, especially with order volume changing from day to day, from week to week, month to month. And again, of course, most clients have seasonal spikes, right? You're going to have your Black Friday, maybe even your July 4th, your Christmas, your New Year's sales. There's a lot of traditional times when volume is going to be high, right? And those are not easy to plan for, but you at least know they're coming. What are a couple of the most important things you look at when a client says, hey, I'm going to have seasonal or non-seasonal order volume spikes, and maybe the order profile even changes. What is one thing you would give as advice to say, hey, here is where what I need to know to focus other than just, you know, here's what the data is. Is there something about how quickly they need to ship maybe that's important versus how long does it take to get to the customer? You know, are there other aspects that we need to think about? Yeah. So I would say a good component of this would be more of the, on the contingency planning, if you will. Like you said, you're always going to have the seasonal spikes. For the most part, you can plan according to those, right? Because you know that there's going to be some seasonal spikes and all that. But the other times you may not have that visibility and know when the spikes and something like COVID all of a sudden happens and now your volume spikes, right? How do you deal with that? COVID is a unique example. I'm not sure you could ever design in a system that said, okay, I'm going to design it for something like a COVID pandemic. But you can design in contingency plans to help with traditional, if you will, volume type spikes. And you can do that from a labor standpoint. When it comes to automation, you can design in additional capacity. We put systems in frequently that have two different speeds, if you will, throughputs, right? Because when you're at your traditional volume levels, you know, you don't want to speed up the system and run it and wear it down a little bit. You only want to use it to what you really need. So you have one throughput, if you will, to handle your normal spikes. And then when you get your peaks, now you ramp up and now the automation turns up a notch, right? So you have that component, but contingency planning in general, having bypass lines, for instance, if you have automation, right? You got to put plans in place because you never know what can happen. So you have backup plans and contingency plans. So 
you're spot on all the time. It wasn't just about waiver planning. It was how can we overflow? Where can we overflow? Do we need to move business elsewhere? Can we send it to a neighboring facility that we have? You know, do we need to move it across the country, a portion of it? And I want to talk about a few of the options that clients have. And some of what I know you've got a lot of experience in too is there's the technology and the automation, but does it also make sense to optimize other pieces of your business within the four walls or maybe even move that somewhere else is what I've done a lot is to say, hey, we see the volume spike happening. Very quickly, we can pick pieces of business up and move it somewhere else. What is very tricky in my experience, and you probably had this experience too, is it's hard to get a lot of automated conveyance in, you know, in a two-week notice. It's hard to get a lot of robotics in. Now, they're very important, and a lot of places, I'm sure there are options out there, and I'll ask you a little bit about that, is what kind of solutions are out there for the, I need it quickly, and I don't necessarily want to break the bank, but I know the volume's going to be there. It's already happened. Maybe you're not digging out, but maybe you're planning for the next couple of weeks. You know, what are some options that you've seen out there that can help the clients or whoever's listening to this may say, oh no, or great problem. We've got a massive sale. It just right. hasn't stopped. How do we combat that? Yeah. Well, the unfortunate thing is from an automation standpoint, you kind of hit it on the note. I'm not going to get a phone call from a customer and be able to tell them, that, oh, you need to handle some volume during peak. Oh, you want to sorter? Yeah, I'll come put it in in two weeks, you know? The systems don't work that way, right? They take at least a year. Sometimes some of these systems will take years. When you think about those, and again, I'm going to broad stroke this one, but if you had to pick a piece of technology that a client could use, that you said, you know, across the board, you're going to get use out of this. If obviously the solution's got to be custom for whatever they need, but if there's something that, you know, you think would be invaluable, what would that be coming into, you know, a peak season? Sortation equipment? Again, if you're trying to figure out this problem when it's happening, your only solution is to throw bodies at it or redirect volume, or maybe you need to incentivize your customers by instead of purchasing this particular widget, you redirect them to purchase this widget because this widget has got so much volume coming out of it. This widget is at a different facility. So trying to change behaviors, if you will, with customers and also trying to change the internals of your operation or the network itself by redirecting volume, those are the big ones that you would hit on. But unfortunately, from an automation standpoint, there is no one piece of technology that can act that quick. I say that maybe there's some conveyance type equipment that has stocked items, if you will. But for the most part, these systems are custom designed to fit a particular application and a particular customer. So yeah, that's where the contingency planning comes out, right? Like we were talking about earlier, right? Having contingency plans. So you do see something. Yeah, you can't pick up the phone and call that bald guy over at Boimer and give you a system in two weeks, but we have a contingency plan. We're going to bring in additional labor, temporary labor, or we're going to redirect our, into our network so that we distribute the volume into different areas or having the systems designed in to have additional capacity already built into them. That's always a good one. I want to jump into that because it's your point, the labor, throwing bodies at it, it works to a point, right? But you can't do it season after season, month after month, year after year. What are some of the first steps you take when you say, hey, we're looking at an automation solution for this client and you're trying to design or say, here's what best fits, right? Here's what the client needs. Here's what the listener might be saying. 
I see all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of options and I see robots and I see high-speed conveyance and I see sorting. What are the things you look at to determine the best solution for them to manage those seasonal spikes? I like the way you put the capacity is built in, but maybe it's not utilized. I don't think those were your exact words, but I heard that maybe you have two speeds and maybe to run the second speed, you need 10 more people. Whereas normally you would need a hundred more people to do it manually. How do you start to make those decisions and help a client figure out what the right solution is for those volume spikes? In the 25 years that I've been involved in this industry, my experience has been the most successful projects are where you have the most engagement from the customer. And I'm sure that's no surprise. It goes back to the, give me some good information and I'll give you some good information back kind of thing. So the more involvement you have, and especially like our systems and just in general, everybody's systems, if you will, The systems have to be designed to support every discipline. So there's objectives that come out from corporate, for instance. Let's just say you have a big customer and I'm going to pick FedEx, for instance. You have to satisfy the requirements of the corporate because they have targets and goals that they have to meet. But as you're doing it, you have to make sure you design it in so that it's maintainable for the maintenance people, the operations people are up to speed and know how to use it. All these people have to have voice in these inputs. So the more, my experience has been, the more input we get from those disciplines and the more engagement we get from all the different disciplines and parts of the company, the more successful the projects usually end up. Because now we're hearing all the voices. If, for instance, we don't hear the voice of maintenance and we don't design in something for maintenance, we'll hear about it. it. Exactly. (laughs) How do I fix it? You designed it that way. Now, how do I fix it? I agree completely. That's an excellent call out is I know you use the large corporation, but even when I draw into smaller and mid-sized, really understanding what the listener in this case, the clients or the customer, what they're wanting out of it. Do they need to ship same day? Does it need to be within a few hours? Can it be next day? When do the orders come through? Are we going to start shipping first thing in the morning? Selfishly from my side, what when can I start? The client may say, hey, I can't get that information until later in the day. So then to your point, you have to know, hey, we need a solution that can process this and maybe a smaller window than we expected. Exactly. really important. Yeah, very important. So yeah, you hit on all the points. I mean, those are the challenges and level of engagement and things that we're looking for. Those are all things that need to be considered. And if they are considered, usually means that a project is going to be very successful. Awesome. Can you tell me about a couple of times where you ran into a project that went really, really well, and then maybe one that didn't go so well? I'm betting I'm going to hedge a bet here that it probably ties in pretty close to exactly what you just said about understanding what the client needs, what the operator needs, and what's expected. But do you have a couple examples that you could maybe give me off the top of your head? I don't need the business, but I think our listeners would like to hear, hey, I've seen it go well and I've seen it not go well. And here's how we get home. Probably the one that everybody's most familiar with is the Denver airport. If everybody recalls, you know, Denver, they built the airport there and they put in this state-of-the-art automation to process bags. And unfortunately, when the airport needed to go live, they just weren't ready. It was a huge, at the time, news story. Siemens had to come in and do a bypass line to kind of get them up and running. I don't remember who the original contractor was that did the original system. So it was a year-long challenge that they were dealing with. The airport was struggling and on bypass lines to get this, you know, airport running. So That's probably, at least in my career, the one that I remember the most as being 
<laughs> the must job. Fortunately, I didn't sell that one and I wasn't directly involved with it. But being in the industry and because we're in the airport vertical and all the companies that I have been with in the past, for the most part, have been in both airports and also logistics. So I heard about it. I wasn't directly involved with it, but it was a pretty big challenge. Now, the airport's fun, working great. I'll sum it up and say, usually when you see these projects that go really south, it's usually because there's some type of technology that isn't mature and ready for the market or the design itself was challenging from a technology standpoint and people were trying to push the limits of what the system could do. So that's usually when you see. Now, of course, we saw some challenges too with COVID. That's kind of not the norm, but I would say in general, classifying it into whether it's new product development or challenging, doing into challenging design that's never been done before. That's usually when you have the potential to go south pretty quick. <laughs> I agree. I like the call out there. I think had everything been stepped into maybe slower, it probably would have worked better. For those listening, one of the things that I've seen is to that point, you want to pick not just the right technology, but the one that makes sense for what you're going to be doing, especially from a cost perspective, right? A lot of mid and smaller organizations don't have the 10, the 30, the $40 million to invest in all this. And so a lot of times it makes sense for them to lean on, hey, here's a technology that's tried and true, and it may be pretty advanced, right? Like it could be as advanced as cobots or robotics, but you need to find something that you're not experimenting with. And yeah. there are, you know, instances, of course, and I've, yeah, I've been in the roles and worked in the roles where you get to work with those new emerging technologies. And to your point, I'm sure you've dealt with that a lot and it's important for the industry, but maybe for the person here is to say, hey, what can I see and what do I know works really well? Yep. And maybe we start there at a smaller scale. That would be a lot of what I would think. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I didn't mention that, but yeah, you put on top of the new product, whether it's a challenging design or challenging technology and you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before. Now you complicate that with the fact that you're doing this with a customer that's never experienced or been around automation before. That's a recipe for disaster. From a customer standpoint, you want to be comfortable with the technology, make sure you have vetted all the different types of technology. You don't want to ever buy on price. Everybody wants the best price. I get it. But sometimes putting in a different piece of technology, that's a better fit for your operation. It's better than spending less and not being a fit. That's a great call out because when we say cost efficient at volume spikes, the point that you just made and what I heard is it doesn't mean the cheapest. Being cost efficient is not being the least expensive. It's finding the best way to utilize that money a lot of times. What we see a lot of times too is, and this is typical in the U.S., public corporations tend to make decisions that are quarterly based. But some of these decisions take time. And even though the traditional ROI model is centered around really what's the savings on labor, what's the savings on operation, that kind of thing, sometimes there's savings that aren't quantified, if you will, right? The indirect savings. So just because the ROI model that looks at this limited information is showing you a good return, look at what's happening on the back of that. And you're not seeing, you're either seeing more return or you're seeing less return. So it's a challenging dilemma, if you will. It is. So you took a nice segue into something else I was going to ask that I thought of. For those listening, what advice would you give them in dealing with volatility? And then what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen when they're looking at these solutions, when they're trying to figure out how to manage volatility and volume or maybe an order profile? What advice would you give them? And then what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen clients make? 
Yeah, I would say it boils down to making sure you have the right information to make the decision. Look, it's no different than our personal lives, right? If I decide I want to get a surgery on, say, my shoulder, I have to have good information to decide whether or not I want to have surgery, right? It's going to take a lot of time off work. So the more information I have, the better equipped I am to make that decision. It's no different in business. The more criteria and the more data and the more information you have to make the decision and the more collaboration you have between the people that are involved in that decision-making process, like we talked about earlier, operations, maintenance, management, corporate, all these different sectors, having them all have a voice, having them all giving information, having them be transparent, not that that's a problem, but just being able to share information that's relevant for the particular challenge that you're dealing with. I think that's the key. Having as much information, collaborating, engagement from the customer and with the supplier. And if there's other pieces of technology, again, the more engagement, the more input, the better your decision making is going to be for the facility or your network or whatever that ends up being. Agreed. It sounds like having the wrong data or not the right kind of data or maybe using the wrong data, yep. looking at the wrong picture is one of the big mistakes that I've seen too is there's a lot of ways in my experience to look at the data that's provided, right? Yep. You can really drill down in and say, here's exactly what everything looks like. But to your point, you know, taking a step back to see what's the big picture of this, not just how does it look out on the floor is what I'm going to call it. How do you make sure you're providing exactly what you need? Because I've seen clients grab the wrong technologies because they, they've said, here's my problem. Here's my problem. Well, Maybe we step back and we say, hold on, there's a better way to look at it. I think that's a pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. As you're talking, it just dawned on me. Another key component, the advice to the companies would be every system is going to have an assumption or many assumptions, right? Those assumptions have an effect, obviously, on the design of the system. So taking those assumptions and evaluating them, really doing a deep dive in each one of the assumptions and saying, okay, what if the assumption is wrong? That's going to take us down another path. If that happens, then what is the, you know, the operation, the automation, the facility look like if it doesn't fall under that assumption? So that's another big one is challenging your assumptions and making sure you got them right and making sure that if the assumption is wrong, what is the fork in the road and making sure you have plans to deal with whatever assumption, whatever direction that assumption goes, whether it's in the same direction or in another direction. And I'll give you a second to think about it, but I want to bring up an example of picking the wrong technology. I, I worked with a provider of goods, fulfilling direct to consumer. It was all outbound direct fulfillment. So pick the order, pack the order. It's going to you. It's going to me. It's going to whoever orders it. Saw them use an A-frame setup, right? A pretty traditional, but relatively advanced solution for fulfilling orders. And what we failed to realize with the client when they were coming in, all of their items were almost exactly the same size at the time. They were all very common in weight and height and width. They were almost identical, right? Like all in the same size jar is how I'm going to put it. And what we failed to realize when we put this solution in is that they were going to shift their model to have all sorts of different style products to fulfill. That's one of my favorite examples of had we or had the company that I've worked with asked, hey, well, where do you want this to be in two years? Yep. And they said, oh, we're going to be shipping items that are four times the size now. And we're going to ship 30, 40 eaches instead of one or two eaches. 
it really hurts when you put the wrong solution and then you have to back off of that and say, okay, we now need to figure something else out, whether it's, you know, a pig delight, whether it's robotics. I'm saying A-frame because that's one of the ones I saw that works really, really well in a, you know certain instances. Do you have any examples that you'd be able or willing to share about the wrong thing getting fixed? I know we talked, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and I know it's kind of a little bit of a focus of our discussion, but 3PLs is a perfect example of this, right? And you lived it, you have a 3PL background, so perfect example, right? We oftentimes, at least historically, at least my personal professional experience, it's a little bit more challenging to convince 3PLs to automate than it is for companies that aren't 3PLs. And the reason being, as you know this, the contracts are three years. So you could put in a system, to your point, that, hey, you had the best data and you designed the perfect system. System's running great. Contracts over in three years, you lose that customer. Now you get a new customer. Mm-hmm. The new customer is a completely different set of criteria, completely different product distribution data, right? So now the system just doesn't work. So again, that's 3PLs, right? That's a very distinct difference, you know what I mean? Distinct aspect of 3PLs, which is the contracts and the customers, because that's the end user, right? That's who's providing you the information. But it's the same thing with a corporation. Like I mentioned earlier, companies merge together. They merge package streams together. Now the package distribution profile changes. Now the system is not operating as efficiently as it was before merging the two. So I mentioned earlier, Denver, I have a handful of examples where I can talk about horror stories and stuff like that. But in general, those are usually the big ones that are immediately highlighted because you see it right off the bat, because you can immediately see the transition between the different streams, if you will, and the effect that it has on the operation, on the processes, on the automation. And so. Yeah, it's a different world then between the large corporation, the 3PL side, the freight and transportation side. It's an interesting landscape, especially for a lot of the listeners, the clients, the customers who are figuring out, what do I do? How do I do it? It's not so easy cut and dry, but to your point, a couple of the important things are know the business as best as you can, where you think it's going to go, where do you would like it to go. That's always been really important to help pick, hey, do I need this technology? Do I need this technology? Because to be, you know, cost efficient and manage those spikes, we've got to have the right thing in there so that we're not just throwing labor at it. Because yeah. again, in the 3PL world, you obviously have to provide, we have to provide for the clients who say, hey, I need my good ship. And we know the volume is going to go up and we know when it's going to be high most of the time. So how do we pick the right thing? And that is a big piece of it. You've lived the 3PL world. I would think you probably agree on some level with this. 3PLs have probably some of the most challenging aspects of order fulfillment, right? Especially in automation too, because you're operating on these different cycles with these different customers, right? And different streams. It's a moving target, if you will. It is. It makes it interesting though, because what we get to do in the 3PL world is we get to figure out what solutions work either for multiple clients or how to leverage those. So that maybe one of our clients has a busy season during the first week of the month. Every month, maybe their first week is crazy busy. And maybe their profile is similar to another client we've got, but they're busy the fourth week of the month. So we get to play around with, to your point, it's difficult, but how do we fit to help the clients, right? Who aren't experts in this. And then to your point, it's, hey, Chad, how do I do I need to do to make this go faster or to use less people? It's always interesting. My experience has been working with 3PLs, designing in flexibility and all these different things. 3PLs are the most challenging, right? Because to your point, they come with the information. 
hey, this is particular client we would have, but we might have this particular client and this particular client, every one of them requires a different data set. And so you're designing around three different solutions. And how do you make these three solutions fit for one solution for the 3PL? So yeah, it's a challenging world that you guys live in for sure. I've lived in, so. And it is. And then for our listeners out there, I want to start to say, you've got to think about a lot of things when you talk about volume spikes, automation, conveyance, sortation, what's the right thing. But I wanted to let you talk for a minute about how you can help with that how the Boimer Group can help with that and what you all do, because I know we talked really briefly earlier on, hey, a lot of things happen within the four walls, but you brought up a good point. Things that happen outside of those are important too. How can you help with that? And how can you help, you know, maybe a listener find the right thing to handle their volume in the right amount of time? Yeah. So I do help customers with designing their network or optimizing their network, but when you start talking about transportation and you start talking about real estate and you start talking about different incentives, if you will, from the city or the state or government or whatever to kind of incentivize, traditional material supplies typically don't get involved in that outside the four walls. But within the four walls, yeah, I mean, we help customers all the time. Our model is, and it's pretty much the same model across the industry is if a customer has a need and there's a pain point and a a problem that needs to be solved using automation. We go in, we spend time with the customer. It goes to the data aspect. Okay, what are you trying to do? What are your objectives? And okay, now that we understand your objectives, we need, at a minimum, we'd like to have these pieces of information. And at a maximum, we'd like to have these pieces of information. And we work with the customer and depending on the information, the level of information we get, sometimes we don't have to make many assumptions. Sometimes because we don't have good data, we have to make a lot more assumptions, but yeah, working with customers and, you know, Boimer has specific core competencies, but we integrate other components as well. That's very common in the industry from material handling aspect with companies like Boimer is there's technology that you can bring in and integrate it within your system. But sometimes customers already have different contracts, if you will, with different material handling suppliers, because your core competency is this, their core competency is this. I don't want you to take control over theirs because I want to have contracts with two. So the situations change, but in general, yeah, just coming in and most companies like Boimer do this for free of charge. We come in, we want to help you design the system. Obviously we want to sell it. So the upfront work is usually free, if you will. <laughs> the important work, right? Exactly. And we want the important work. We want the final prize. So we work with companies and hopefully help them solve a problem. And in the end, hopefully make it a win-win for them and for us. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. Well, it sounds like you've got a good background, a ton of experience. Sounds like Boimer can definitely help out with a lot of clientele who are going to need, even Amware, for example, need to improve operations in the building. How do we make it more efficient? I want to ask you before we end, what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you or contact you or Boimer? Yeah. So they can reach out to me over phone or over email. Happy to share my contact information. My cell is 908-239-9175. And then my email address is 
chad.tibido at boimer.com. And most people don't know how to spell Thibodeau. So it's chad, C-H-A-D dot T-H-I-B-O-D-E-A-U-X at boimer, B-E-U-M-E-R.com. Either one of those two, email or phone, I'd be happy to talk to anybody and see if there's a need and if we can help them. And just to clarify, if we can't help them, we've all been in the industry a long times. And what I always like to say in our industry, you know, the Kevin Bacon, six degrees of freedom. I think in our industry, we have three degrees of freedom. I might not know you, but I bet you I know somebody that knows you that I know. I know a lot of people in the industry, you know, a lot of companies I've been with five or six different companies. If we don't have the best solution to help you, we'll tell you, hey, look, this is not our core competency. You're probably better off contacting another one of our competitors or another one of our partners. So yeah, if we can help you, we'll be honest and tell you we can help you. If we can't help you, we'll be also be transparent and tell you we can help you as well. We'll point you to someone who can help you. That's always important for the listeners, for clients, for customers who are trying to figure out the right thing to do. It's nice that you highlighted, hey, maybe you don't have the right solution or maybe you have a part of it. The important thing is maybe you know who to point them to, just like we do. Hey, we can help you with this. Thank you again, Chad, so much for your time today. Glad we got to chat a little bit about not just volatile spikes in volume, but how to prepare for those and then how to figure out the best technology and what decisions need to be made to figure out the right way to handle that. Chad, appreciate your time. Enjoyed it. It was a pleasure talking to you, Austin. Enjoyed it. Wonderful. We'll speak again soon, I'm sure. Yep. Looking forward to it.